following podcast may contain some adult language. You've been warned. Those of you who got an invite, welcome to NerdProm. <laughs> no matter where in the world you are, we're all NERDS International. With the hyphen. Welcome to Finding the Narrative, a Genesis RPG podcast. This is a show dedicated to the Genesis role-playing system from Fantasy Flight Games, a show in which we, your hosts, discuss all things Genesis from both the player's and a GM's perspective. I am Tony Fanning, and with me, as always, are my two wonderful co-hosts extraordinaire, Chris Holmes and Stefan Dragonspawn. How are we, fellas? Starting with Chris. Yeah, glad you said that, because I'm like, how you doing, fellas? You asking us both at the same time. We're going to start talking over each other. Right, <laughs> Stefan? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm doing good. I did much grilling this weekend, made a couple briskets for my group last night, playing D&D. Yeah. Made some barbecue nachos today. Watched John Wick. All three movies. Fucking cool. Nice. So, yeah, I'm excited. I'm pumped about this episode, too. Very good. Very good. So, yes, I'm doing well as as well. Um, not had any game, but, you know, on Saturday, of course, Chris always shares his uh, pics of his uh, barbecue. So I always get to see his meat. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> Before and after. <laughs> And now still working on my Dragonstar campaign to hopefully run my face-to-face game, which I'm converting Dragonstar to Genesis, which is going pretty well. I'm using a lot of material from Starcana, so thank you for coming up with that. It helps a lot with uh, <laughs> with coming up with some of my stuff and using it as shortcuts. So. Cool. How about you, Tony? How you doing, bud? Not bad. I'm on vacation. So, Ev, obviously, I've done all kinds of things around the house, mm. like uh, brainstorm making a character for Jamie's new Terranoth game. Of course. <laughs> and um, eating uh, horseradish cheese in my pajamas. Um, like you do. <laughs> we had we had a, uh, a movie marathon of our own yesterday. The wife and I decided we were going to watch all four Avengers films. Um, Sweet. Beyond that, I ain't done shit. <laughs> and you know what? More power to you. <laughs> That's exactly yep. what I would do on my days off. Not <laughs> shit. <laughs> Showers are optional nowadays. Yeah. <laughs> you can do two things, Jack and shit. <laughs> That's right. No, I'm kidding. I, I shower every day. I have to. I feel dirty otherwise. <laughs> well, already then. Hey, Stefan, do we have any news to report? A little bit of news. Of course, there's still Con on the Cob, which okay. is coming up now in less than 40 days. It's still on October 3rd to the 6th, just south of Cleveland in Richfield, Ohio. A bunch of us will be there. A few less people than last year, but because of different things. But still, you know, about 10 of us will be there, cool. which is good. 
and uh, of course uh, we're keeping an eye on new stuff that's coming out for the Genesis Foundry, which is a new resource, of course, it's been out for a little while. I noticed, uh, I think it was maybe yesterday or this morning that I noticed it, I forget, a new thing came out uh, called Crooks and Contacts 1. Mm which is a nice little profile for a uh, NPC, fully fleshed out NPC for Shadows of the Beanstalk. Cool. What's so, that all about? It's Marcus Windham, comma, runner. So you've got, it's all about uh, this particular NPC who's obviously a, a net runner, a hacker. And so he's got a, the whole background, personality profile, etc. Even adventure seeds or encounter seeds that uh, they suggest. So... Awesome. Very nice. Only all that for a buck. And since it's number one, I'm guessing that there'll be more. <laughs> Let's hope. <laughs> Let's hope. So yeah. there you go. So, you know, sometimes when you don't have time to create fully fleshed NPCs, maybe there'll be some uh, some more in the future. For now, you've got a Netrunner. Cool. Liking it. Sweet. Here we go. So as far as I know, it's, that's it for news. Over to you, uh... Well, we do have, I do have a couple selections for listener feedback. Cool. And uh, the first one I'd like to get into is from Preach Will. And okay. he says, I'm taking another stab at horror using the Genesis system. The last time went very well, and the players had a good time. Something I noticed, however, was that it's, a go- it's, a, it's pretty difficult to kill players with the rules as written. I don't know if that's just how the game was designed to be or if this is just due to lack of imagination on my part, the GM. How can I make the next sci-fi horror campaign, uh, my next sci-fi horror campaign, more deadly and give the players a more tense experience? General GM tips or rules modification suggestions are all welcome. Thank you guys for doing what you do, and may the dice be ever in your favor. From, again, from Preach Will. Yep. So I responded to Will there, and uh, what I said was, uh, thanks for writing us again. Will's written us before. And uh, I told him uh, my five tips, which are to make healing scarce, make those uh, painkillers or whatever it may be for the setting. Make them scarce and hard to find. Your characters will carry wounds between combats because you're not going to heal much with medicine checks. Um, also, keep soak uh, soak low uh, on the characters or give monsters pierce and breach to get through that soak if they have high soak. Um, that makes them fear getting hit a little more often. I mean, one or two hits and they're down. Yeah. Um, monster... Monster damage should be one to two points higher than the average. Of course, the average being four or five. Um, So you should always have a six or seven, or even if you have a really nasty attack that normally would be nine or ten, pump it up to 11 or 12. Ouch. Um, Well, that's a one-hit shot if if it has some breach. (laughs) (laughs) But if you're thinking like the big, big monster from Stranger Things, you know, that thing hit somebody one time. They were dead. Yep. So it an attack from that thing that did 12 damage with Breach 1, mm-hmm. yeah, that's going to fuck any character's day over. Pretty much. Yeah. yeah. So, um, <coughs> excuse me. 
And I also said uh, fourth was hit them with lots of situational setback dice to dial up that horror factor more. Every time there's a situation, you know, even even existing wounds can be used as a reason to throw setback on a character. Um, that way, when they generate more threat, they generate more strain, which is another way of knocking them out. And then once you knock them out, you could do all the horrible things that you want to them. Um, and then a potential new setting rule called Deadly Encounters. And that's every time, anytime a character, that's NPC or player, has exceeded their wound threshold, roll all crits applied to their character at plus 50%. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's deadly. <laughs> that would yeah. definitely make it deadly. So, mm-hmm. those were my suggestions. You guys got anything? I was thinking one thing, maybe uh, as a simple rule, sometimes, you know, instead of giving the creature sometimes breach or increasing the the base damage, what if base damage stays, but every success is two points of damage? That could be, yeah, a creature's special ability or even for all yeah. creatures in a specific setting. Yeah, yeah, that sounds like a special ability. Yeah, that'd or if cool. you want just a few creatures, you know, a, a nasty werewolf, you know, their claws could be particularly deadly, or even a vampire. If, mm-hmm. uh, not all creatures, but you know, some or, of the really nastier ones. Or a vorpal bunny bite, right? <laughs> yeah, that could be. I'd, I'd, I'd give that. I'd give that freaking bunny a two successes. <laughs> or or chaotic evil lightning bunnies, even. Yeah, there you, you watch go. out for them. Yeah, I actually I actually responded as well, basically seconding all of Tony's suggestions there, um, and and suggesting maybe creating more fear checks would bring in more opportunities for failures, and then pull in that mental traumas and phobias, and then maybe even look at Tony's um, what he came up with for his madness rules, adding adversary yeah. to those fear checks, right, on these bad mm-hmm. guys. Um, and of course, you can always throw a fucking frag grenade in a goddamn turbo lift against your character <laughs> named Baka. Oh, wait a second. No. <laughs> I, I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, throwing a frag that's grenade not. in a small enclosed space with one character. Yeah, that's always a good way to make stuff deadly. Most definitely. Mm. <laughs> good thing it was only a dream sequence. <gasps> yes, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thanks again, Will, for writing us, and I hope we gave you the answers. You did. He did respond back and say that uh, our answers were probably going to do the work for him. But uh, let's let's hope it does. So yep. cool. Yeah, always appreciate it, man. Keep writing yeah. in. Let All us right. know uh, what it uh, if you uh, what you use and how you you dealt with it. Yeah. Yeah, especially that new setting rule. I have not play tested it, but I've heard it works. So. Where'd you see Give that? Give it a shot. Is, it, is, that, is that an original idea, or you, you saw it, it somewhere? Probably a Facebook thread or, or a Reddit okay. thread somewhere. Cool. I'm, you know, I, I read a lot of shit. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I hear you. <laughs> uh, so, uh, uh, moving on, we got one from our friend Jared Wilson, or Jared D.W., as we originally called him. Um, <laughs> over at... Uh, he sent us another email. It says, hey, guys, and Stephanie. That's so nice of him to include her. Yes. Yeah. I'm, I'm making a skin for Genesis using a popular Stellar Voyage property. Hmm. 
In in the official game, they have a ship essentially making supporting character roles for every activity aboard the ship. They have the ship essentially make oh they have the ship essentially making supporting character roles for every I get it now. Um, this means it, two roles for every action while aboard a starship. To streamline that, I've stolen I mean borrowed an idea hmm. whereby the starship has its own system attributes and the character's skill is used. These attributes include communications, computers, engines, structure, sensors, and weapons. So, if, if you're trying to send a message through your through, inter, though in, through interference and your ship has had communications too, and your character has operating of three, you'd roll two yellow and a green. Your intellect is not part of the, the role. The ship's system is. Uh, I think this makes the ship much more integrated into the scene, yet keeps it about the characters and their actions. I agree with him there. Mm-hmm. Um, any thoughts or problems I, don't, I didn't think of? Thanks again for everything on the show, uh, Jared W. And I responded to Jared, and um, what the, 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 the thought I had was, sounds you know I said, it sounds like a great idea, and I could see lots of potential for fun. But um, using communications, to me, seems like the player would be using their computer's skill as opposed to operating. Operating is really totally just flying the ship. Right. And I think – and um, I said one suggestion I would have is to retool the vehicle crit chart to include mimicking versions of the characteristic damaging crits – like on the personal crit chart because there's nothing like that on the vehicle crit chart Hmm. Uh, so that it can do damage to those uh, those or apply setback dice when rolling a particular ship attribute. Yeah, right. And he said, yeah, he'd already planned on reworking the, uh, that was his next step. And, um, but mainly my, my big uh, thought was that having just operating being, the skill, um, I thought, you know, operating is needed. If operating is needed for every character to interact with the ship, it kind of takes away from the various different careers within mm-hmm. your setting. Yeah, you're, you're, they lose their individuality, so to speak. So when, say, a certain member of the team, we'll call him Suli, is trying to fly the ship, <laughs> he can fly it like nobody's business because he's using <clears throat> operating and the engine uh, but he wouldn't be really good at using computers and the communication stat because right. he's not as good at computers there's really only one woman for that job i know that's o'hara yeah. she has a pretty good <laughs> communication skill <Yeah>. for sure <laughs> maybe knowledge yeah. languages yeah. too i mean there's there's those kinds of things you can actually bring in depending on what the actual check is going to be for i would make it i would pretty much keep it keep it a little open to sit i mean have a set of generic skills that you can link to um these different ship systems but um have the players come up with some things too you know if you want to communicate with the alien race knowledge xenology with communications on the ship or even with the computers on the ship you might have to look up translations and such you know 
I mean, yeah, if it, all it, your you know, eggs are in the basket of operating, it seems to me like it's going to be <clears throat> a little too focused. Yeah. Um, for all the different characters that are going to want to be in the setting, that just seems what it was seeming to me. And he he said he's he came back and said he was going to handle that with talents. Mm. But I don't know. Go ahead, Stefan. Sorry, uh, I'm just re- rereading the operating skill and uh, just to be sure what it what it covers. And this would be ideal, yeah, for operating. Of course, is be is better for these huge vessels, whether they're you know galleons or starship enterprises, whatever. Uh, <laughs> but if you apply it to a smaller ship, you know, uh, like the Firefly or, uh, or something like that, then you're not using operating, but you can still use the same, uh, the same system. So if you want to pilot the ship, you, the, the ship might have an attribute for, for maneuverability, maneuverability, but it's piloting. Communications yeah. would be maybe... Computers, like you say, because it's a small ship, you don't use operating for everything. But op- yeah, but making everything about operating sort of makes it like a skill that would be like way too useful for everybody. Like an Uber skill. Yeah, an Uber yeah. skill, because then you know you don't need computers anymore. You don't need piloting. You don't need gunnery. Yeah, gunnery why would I put any in. points in anything other than operating? Yeah. Uh, Seriously, so if I was, I was, if was going to play in that system, I would put all my uh, all my XP in operating, and ha ha, I win. Yeah. Maybe the only other other skill you'd be you'd be useful would be the gunnery skill then, because then that's a very specific one that handles big weapons or ship-mounted weapons. Mm-hmm. But other than that, yeah. But if you're usually if you're you're just having a, a small plane group, they'll probably have a small ship, which is usually not using operating. It would be using mechanics for repairing and maintaining the ship, uh, piloting. Yeah, and computers for sensors and uh, and communications and whatnot, or navigation as well. That would be all astrogations. But anyway, uh, mm-hmm. so yeah, as long as you maybe make sure what type of skills are required for your ship or vehicle. Yeah, uh, that way you know people don't all put their points into there and max it out at the ma- <laughs> easily. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's our take, anyway. But yeah. thank you, Jared, for sharing with us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And hopefully, yeah, cool. hopefully, you take something away from it, or you just go, you know what? I don't like what these guys have to say, and you do your own thing and have fun with it, anyway. <laughs> that's <laughs> right. We want to. We want to hear know. about it too. Yeah. Well, that's it. It's just our opinions. You take what you want with it, and you know, like every like like a lot of people, we've got a belly button, just like like everybody else. We have an opinion as well. So. My opinion is just like Stefan. It sucks. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> oh there it is. Uh, sometimes it blows too. <laughs> uh, well, then we what got a another... great lead-in to our next um, to our next segment. <laughs> Let's do that. All right. Welcome to 50 Pieces of Awesome. No, I'm just kidding. This is 50 Pieces of Awesome. This is where Chris goes on on the internet, finds something 
great for us old whippersnappers mm-hmm. and uh, shares it with us because we're lazy and don't know how to use the interwebs. So, yep. What you got, Inter- bud? What? Well, you know, I found something strange on the internet. <laughs> yes, oh, it's you did? um yes, it's by J. Scott Zumwalt, aka Drainsmith. Uh-huh. Thank you for the woman in red, by the way. Um and the <laughs> yes, it's his something strange setting. Holy crap. This is 40 pages of awesome. You can get it out on the Foundry for 9.99, which I've already done. He's got a character sheet on there, and I must say the the um, graphics that he's got for the um, for the character sheet threw him in a little um, what do you call it in, inside of like the characteristics circles and whatnot. You know, pretty cool. Mm-hmm. I like the font too. Nice, nice. I do. Um, okay. Well, though he does, though it is five pages long. <laughs> Tony's like, "What the fuck? <laughs> Why five pages?" But the last page is a legal page, and then there's two pages for a talent pyramid. Um, yeah, that's what I would need. I put all my XP in talents, so you know. Um, yeah, so this so that pulls in themes and tropes for vampires, werewolves, magicians. Oh my! Um, yeah, this is like a modern a modern themed um, horror, which I I want to play it. Because, because I want to spend five XP to become a vampire. Yes. What? <laughs> yes, you can do that in this. You're either playing, you know, you could play humans, hunters, magicians, vampires, werewolves. It's kind of that whole. There's a there's a secret world out there that really nobody knows. Like the soccer mom down the street doesn't know that, you know, hey, I'm a vampire or I hunt werewolves or something. Um, reminds me a so, lot of the Supernatural show, which you could totally pull in. Yeah, man. I was going to say, what is, um, what do you think would be like a great inspirational, and you said Supernatural. The show I was Supernatural. Thinking, yeah. I was thinking Buffy the Vampire Slayer. That too. There you go. I mean, yeah. any of those you could pull in and, he goes through the themes and tropes and which I which I really like when you when it's in the front of the document, hey, this is what it's about. Um, also added three new archetypes for humans. You know, added the athlete, which is linked to agility, dedicated, which is linked to willpower, and the savvy, which is linked to cunning. Um, pretty cool abilities with them too. Uh, and of course, put in there what we like about with the career is just starting gear. You know, kind of looks like what they did in, uh, what is it, Tiernoth and in um, yeah. uh, the Beanstalk, you know, Shadows of the Beanstalk, where you just list, here's the gear you start with. Yeah, no, I saw that. I pounded on my table. I hear you. <laughs> um, oh, one, one other little thing in this horror setting, added weapon noise. Page yeah. 12. And the suppressed item quality. On page twenty-five, I, I I think it's just brilliant that you add something like that, especially in a horror setting, right? Oh yeah, um, I'm gonna be using that totally in my horror games. <laughs> yeah, and it's cool because um, the basically the weapon noise. You know what? I'm not gonna spoil it. Go get it. Read it yourselves. It'll be cool. <laughs> um, and like I mentioned, yeah, vampire werewolf talents. Spend five XP to become a vampire. You got all these kick-ass talents that you can get to. Um, 
Yeah, and there's a whole bunch of follow-up talents like Blood Potency yeah. and Fear the Beast that mm -hmm. just make you that much more cool as a monster. <laughs> exactly. Um, has a nice table on page 28 for creating custom implements for your magiques, which I think he's added. They kept the core magic in the, um, you know, in this uh, setting as well. And then, um, you know, added, you know, have vehicles and then adversaries in the back. Chupacabras. They're chupacabras. That nice. kind of gives you a nice little thing. And <laughs> W. Emmett Roebuck for the win. <laughs> this guy is a, he was a Texas Ranger back in the Civil War who got turned into a vampire <laughs> And he's now just a vampire, you know, guy out there, a uh, nice nemesis out there. And why can't I play this guy? Oh, oh, wait, I can. If I'm running this, I totally can play him. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I think this is great. A lot of good stuff. Well laid out. And, yeah, I want to play it. Definitely want to play it. Cool. What do you guys think? Oh, uh, no. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> um, one of the things I really loved uh were some of the uh nemeses um yeah. just some of the monsters some of the some of the um not the i shouldn't say nemeses the adversaries the mothman the mm -hmm. the I, I like the uh what are they uh, the urban legend type monsters i, I kind of like those yes. monsters and i like playing with them mm -hmm. um the chupacabra obviously cool skunk uh, ape. the mothman yeah the skunk ape the jackalope all those are awesome. Um, oh, yeah. And I totally want to make my jack-o'-lantern man, you know, the fucking headless horseman, uh, <laughs> and throw it in something like this. It'd be awesome. So, Oh, and a jackalope. I, I didn't even see the yeah. jackalope. What the fuck? Oh, yeah. Come on, man. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's great. <laughs> Go fast yeah. as fast can be. You'll never catch me. <laughs> 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 wow! Oh, I think it's really good. I uh, the uh, where, vampires and werewolves as talents was really kind of a you know, bing hey, enlightenment moment for me. I kind of enjoyed that. So yeah, um, kind of like a template when you start mm -hmm. you know, for certain other games. You, it gives you the mm -hmm. starting packages. Okay, this is your curse of vampirism, the exactly. basics, but it also opens up to yeah. a whole other talents as you grow older and more powerful. Yep. You know, now suddenly you've got this other talent that you now transform into a bat mm -hmm. or something like that. I haven't read all the talents myself, but yeah. I'm sure there's something like that. My thought came to my mind was, okay, you're playing in a campaign and you have a character that really, really loves their character, a player that mm -hmm. really loves their character, mm -hmm. and they don't want their character to die. You're playing in a fantasy or at least a setting that has the supernatural involved. All right create a talent that they have to buy with XP. Now they're a ghost. Yeah. You could totally now do... you create a series of talents for them that allows them to interact with people and do ghostly things. You could totally do that. Mm -hmm. And, and now you have a way for players to play their characters after their death, which awesome. Yeah. <laughs> you could do the same thing with maybe zombies or ghouls and templates ghoul. like that. Yeah, an intelligent ghoul. You could do the same thing with a lich. Yeah. Yep. Uh, in a fantasy campaign, um, 
well thought out, Scott. Thank you very much for doing that and totally going to steal that idea, buddy. There you go. You mean borrow. Borrow. Reskin. There There it is. There it is. Nice. Anyhow. So there we go. So thank you, Drain Smith, Scott. Uh, 50 pieces of awesome to you again (laughs) because you come up with so many great stuff. So many great things. Oh, yeah. Why are we we featuring our competition's stuff, dude? What competition? (laughs) Ah, I see how it is. <laughs> yeah, well, there's that's all. It's all good. They're col- collaborators. Yeah, that's it. We're all, We're all one big happy community, and I think they're doing a great job over there. Yeah. Yeah. All right, everybody. Welcome to the books of Genesis. <laughs> All right, you joined me on that one. Cool, Stefan. What's the name of our episode? The name of the episode? Simple setting spotlight spotlight number one. Sovereigns of Steam. Yes, everyone. Open up your core rulebook to page 148. Because we're going to be talking about the steampunk setting, and then we'll talk about Sovereigns of Steam as well. So, um... I guess to start with, what is steampunk to you guys? What is it? Mm. Go uh, ahead, okay. Steph. <laughs> All right. Well, for me, for me, steampunk is a little bit like uh, a Victorian era. Most of the time, it's kind of a Victorian era where technology is starting. Rev- mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, industrial revolution has begun. But instead of going the standard boring Earth, you know, re- reality route, uh, these fantastical technologies are uh, are used and work. Actually, work. You know, uh, whether it's mm-hmm. Tesla's concepts of electricity or steam uh, can be used in ways that are very different and more more effectively than they actually ever were. Yep. And you can have your your mad scientists come up with these crazy. Uh, theories of the ether and whatnot, and it involves a lot of things that look very retro-futuristic. <laughs> yeah, anachronistic future. Mm-hmm. Yeah, anachronistic. So, you know, lots of gears, lots of brass, lots of metal and leather, and uh, kind of antiquated in a way. A little bit, but mm-hmm. still pulpy action. You know, uh, yep. your your bad guys are really bad. Your good guys are really good, and there's. Well, Indiana Jones with weird tech. There you Could go. Good That's cool. example. There you go. Thank you, know, you, Tony. Well, when I think about steampunk, I think about the first stories we read as kids when we're in grade schools. We le- read those stories by Jules Verne, Twenty Thousand Leagues Under the Sea, The Time Machine. You know, these Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. These are all stories that give us the idea of steampunk. The 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 birth of science was in the 1800s was this just this expanding frontier and they didn't know where all this new technology electricity and gears and steam could go Mm -hmm. well it went one direction for us in our history it could have gone others and that's what this what if it could have gone this other direction right that's what steampunk is to me yeah if the and and I, i read in here if the combustion engine 
didn't replace that, mm-hmm. that's kind of where it would where it would go. Right. And the sidebar actually on page what one forty nine. Mm-hmm. The three par- primary forces are the steam power, clockwork, and elect- electricity. You know, you keep those in mm-hmm. mind, and you don't really worry about. How does this steampunk thing fly? Eh, who cares? It's got wings. It's got gears. It's got yeah. pulleys. It freaking works. It's awesome, right? Yeah. <laughs> if you're che- if you're playing with friends who are scientists, tell them to check their brains at the door. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> because their science is not going to work here. <laughs> no, but they do say it's got to feel right, and you know that's you know what I mean. It's uh, well, there are a couple of examples they have. Um, a uh, what is it? The electricity running for every home feels a bit too modern. However, an advanced application like a directed energy weapon or something just feels right if it's powered by this big steam engine or whatever, this big right. piston. You know, the so. key the key is to have these advanced technologies, but they're experiments. They're experimental. There are huge drawbacks to using them, or yeah. huge potential. You know. You're going to use this mass, nasty energy weapon, but you automatically upgrade twice because if you're going to roll a despair, the thing's going to blow up, or it's going to, you know, <laughs> yep. yeah. or it's going to turn your friends into newts. Who knows? You don't know what it's going to do. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so we've got some some tropes here that we start with, and I think we've pretty much hit the improbable technology. We kind of knocked that into the dirt. That was one of the things, like what we're talking about, right? And Right, steam-powered yeah, not, machines, clanking, hissing, and all that. Yeah, not, necessarily it, Im, not necessarily impossible, but unlikely improbable. to work with our our science. Yeah, but you know, throw in a few different theories that could work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Steam. I like this part here. This is really how you catch their capture that improbable technology thing. Steam powered. This last paragraph. Steam powered machines may be clanking, hissing experiments liable to explode at the <laughs> slightest provocation, or reliable technologies that have functioned for years. And both extremes often exist alongside one in one another in the setting. It's an age of invention, regardless of what age or universe, and it happens. Uh, it happens to be in. And generally, steampunk technologies are bigger, louder smokier mm-hmm. than the modern mm-hmm. digital equivalents. Yeah. Uh, they, re- they are replete with pipes, gears, smokestacks, brass tubing, all those things that we mentioned. And mm-hmm. that right there just, you know, you could have a cell phone, but it's this mm-hmm. giant freaking steam power or gear mm-hmm. device that you got to, mm-hmm. you know, you got to maybe put a helmet on to use it. <laughs> you, guys ever, you guys ever watch that show um, Warehouse 13? It was on the Sci-Fi Channel a few years back. It's on yeah, my to-do list. I've watched a few episodes. Yeah, they had the, some of the antiquated technologies in there. Mm-hmm. Really, do have a, evokes it. You know. Yeah, they had a communicator, like almost like a portable visiphone. You know, with the mm-hmm. lens is a bit distorted, but it still yep. works. Yeah. But it's not a cell phone. It doesn't work with the same nope. technology. <laughs> exactly. So that's why they use it because it can't be traced. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, and I also <laughs> this also you don't go over their minutes. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. This also made me think of the movie um, The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen and yes. the Nautilus from yep. Captain Nemo's Nautilus, right? I mean that's very steampunky. Wouldn't you guys agree? You think? That's what yeah. I thought. Oh yes. 
yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah. Uh, there's a ton of inspirations out there, mm. ones you mentioned. Plus, there's the Sherlock Holmes films. Um, mm-hmm. Those are a great oh, example, yeah. the two yeah, Sherlock's, sure. Sherlock Holmes films. Um, there's also um, Immortal Engines, uh, which is a futuristic post-apocalyptic steampunk. There you go. I didn't think of uh, that. You're right. You're right. Yeah. I was thinking about that one, yes. So Wild there's, Wild there's, West. I think Wild Wild West with um, Will Smith. Oh, yeah. Um, the giant... The- Clockwork mm-hmm. spider monster thing. Yeah. yeah. Hell yeah. Okay. So in it so while there that brings us to the next trope, which is the Victorian aesthetic. Which uh, you know, most steampunk has the Victorian styles, which is, you know, eighteen hundreds, nineteenth century British Empire. You have, you know, that expansionist attitude, but they're spreading across the land. Um, you have the styles from that time. Women wore corsets and bustiers, and and they. But women were just then exploring their, you know, their their equal rights too. So that was there was that huge push, and then there was mm-hmm. still that kind of courtly lords and ladies going on also to yeah, brought polite down. society. Mm-hmm. Yes, um, but you could still include elements from that same time period. Excuse me. Time period elsewhere in the world where you have that whole uh, Wild West feel. Yep. Uh, same time period, just a different feel, but it all still kind of fits in a steampunk setting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. One of the uh, things I liked about this was they're talking about the social problems and mm-hmm. how the 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 folks of a lower class, the working class, are basically quote unquote the cogs in the machine, right? This feels very, uh, uh, what do you call it, uh, Shadow of the Beanstalk to me in that you have your wristies, but then you have the people mm-hmm. in other societies, but just throw steampunk on it. Boom, baby. Same same, same themes, right? They're working for the man that kind of... Yeah. Well, well that's very what rich puts and the, the very poor. Mm-hmm. That's what puts the punk into it. The yeah. punk element comes from there is the haves and the have-nots, and the have-nots yeah. have this attitude of we want our freedom and we're going to fight for it mm-hmm. that's where your that's where the punk element comes from yep yep so I had a, sorry go ahead Stephen. um there was a short series on netflix uh called death and robots you guys yeah. watch them there's one great episode it's a short episode usually they're all between 15 20 minutes one great one where it's set in ancient china but Vic, the Victorian yeah, Empire. Sorry. I remember that one. Entering, yeah, entering. And all this technology is like pushing away the magic. So also, without giving away the end, the whole story, there's one China man, a Chinese man, who's getting very knowledgeable about this. these technologies adapted to it. And he becomes an expert at maintaining and creating these clockwork stuff. Yep. And he helps his friend with it mm-hmm. and it's amazing little bit of animation that very mm-hmm. much steampunk because he's working class she's she's very 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 poor but courts yep. powerful in her own situation so it was really cool to actually, see those two mesh that's so actually could, a nice segue too yeah you could mix mm-hmm. like ancient instead of being victorian english maybe set it in, in china China, yeah. China has been known for coming up with new technology. They come up with get, with gunpowder, mm-hmm. so why not, you know, uh, set it in a Chinese uh, setting? Maybe, you know, uh, yeah. the Ming Dynasty or whatever, uh, just before 
the West comes in, you know. Uh, yeah, or during it. <laughs> or during it, but they develop their own little, you know, aesthetics. You know, everything looks nice and sleek and very, you know, have dragon motifs or whatever, you know, designs uh, that you know, the Orientals always put uh, their own touch on, uh, on things. Right. Right, and the reason why I was saying it's a nice segue is because you have these steam, these um, clockwork automatons, which mm-hmm. is kind of the next trope here, where you have, um, you know, your automation with this new technology, and it could upset the workers displaced by automated clockwork workers. That sounds like mm-hmm. a theme that we've heard of, yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> I mean, Byroids in, you have Byroids in Shadow of the Beanstalk, and you have yeah. uh, clockwork, Clockworks in, you know, Sovereigns of Steam. So, pretty cool. But you, you also have these vast war machines that can be created mm-hmm. now, mm-hmm. and you have the, the post-war feel that can come from it in almost like a, um, uh, for lack of better examples you know the post post world war ii era feel where things were just worn down and everybody was tired of fighting and you can Mm -hmm. totally have areas or a setting or whatever that are all about this trying to rebuild their society that these horrible technologies have destroyed yep yep yeah yeah the field of battle has now changed it's no longer cavalry and riflemen now you've got tanks and, and airships you know that drop bombs from uh, from way above uh. oh here i like i like this little thing it says while coaches carried aloft by balloons might make mm-hmm. flying cars or cars a reality before or instead of automobiles yeah so you can have your flying cars baby flying coaches. that's it <laughs> yeah. there you go mm-hmm. no well the, the, the flying sorry go ahead no go ahead now, the, the flying vehicles that they had in Immortal Engines were pretty cool. Almost like a yeah. combination of di- small dirigibles slash fighters. Yeah, those <laughs> are cool. That was, those Very are much so. Mm-hmm. Very much so. Mm-hmm. And then we have our last trope, which we've already kind of covered, but it's through a glass foggy. And I kind of like the, you know, steampunk have has been described as retrofuturism, which is, I think, a word that Stefan used. And this holds true to an extent whether the steampunk game is set in an alternate past, an alternate present, or an alternate future. Heavily informed by popular concepts, uh, conceptions of Victorian England, uh, and heavily informed by steam-powered technologies of the 19th century, steampunk pushes technology forward. So we're into that. Technology is reaching beyond what it was at that time and moves into future technologies and that's where chris got into the you know the flying cars and the mm-hmm. and um large airships that carry thousands of people you know like these huge airliners yeah. um like the one that i have in my and that that i put into our uh, primordial machina setting this oh, yeah. huge like the it's like the titanic only it's a huge dirigible um airship that is powered by our fake crystals um, and steam combined, and it's this marvel of technology, and it just goes between all the major cities. Um, again, one of those things where you want to inc- incorporate those futuristic ideas, ideas that are far-reaching, and put them into that aesthetic of gears and steam and 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 you know the wonders of electricity. Mm-hmm. So, yep. And this the very last sentence. Is pretty cool. 
where it says steampunk is about keeping one eye on the past and one on possibility. So just keep that in keep that in your mind when you're thinking of these things that you know it's got to feel maybe older, but it's got to be something that's possible and improbable, like we had said too. So, well, yeah, like the jetpack. You know, so you've got someone who's developed a jetpack. Yeah. It looks that's older. Right. Well, yeah, it looks doesn't look sleek like uh, something you would see in Star Trek or Star Wars, but you know, has yeah. fins and chrome. <laughs> Gotcha. So, what we um, we're going to skip over the next little bit here, which is about the example setting and the fluff on it, because we're mm-hmm. going to cover that in our setting the tone. Yes. What we're what we're really going to talk about is some of the gear and other things that are available for these these types of settings. Mm-hmm. And I'd first like to start with the character options, and I think they provided two really good character options that capture. You know, and we added a third one in our in our um, steampunky setting. You know, we had the elemental side of it, which was our amalgams, mm-hmm. and then we had the, the 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 three on the other side, which we took two right from this book, and then we added a third one. The two from the book here, personally, my favorite is I've always liked were creatures, so the mongrel really kind of struck me, mm-hmm. and I just want to go into that. Um, so the mongrels, so-called mongrels, are products of science run amok. Uh, these are creations, uh, whether you know you use the Sovereigns of Steam setting or not, these are creations created by an elixir that gets into their blood and stays there. Yeah. And it turns them into monsters. So you're Dr. Hyde, Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde, or even your Wolfman yep. um, type characters. Uh, really, it covers all those bases. You can be this just this dude who looks like a monster or you can be this monster that wants to be a man it really fits for both yep uh so your mongrel looks like a normal human and they have all the stats of a normal human however where things go a little awry is these two awesome abilities which they they basically turned into talents for Terranoth. if you didn't notice their racial abilities are shapeshifter or also known as the beast within mm. an improved shapeshifter or the human spirit. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Basically. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And I, cool. and I, and that's, that's a key indicator for us when we're looking at creating races in the future about taking talents that we like that are unique, reskinning them mm-hmm. and making them into racial abilities to make our races or our, um, archetypes for our games slightly unique yeah right and then i don't know who likes the other one i like oh, it go one. ahead go ahead Stefan. you do that one yeah. the other one is uh the revenant which of course then introduces the uh the man playing god and basically bringing the dead back to life think of course you know dr frankenstein and his monster it's frankenstein oh. Frankenstein, Stein. Uh, did your hop walk like this? Walk like this. Walk this way. Loving you got my reference. You guys are dorks. Uh, oh, yeah. That movie is a... It's Mel Brooks. We're the generation That's of it. Mel Brooks. I know. That's why we're not offended by anything. I know. Nope. <laughs> So, yeah, so that's where you would have, you know, whatever shape or form, the reason they, they come back, you know, mm-hmm. someone's brought them back through weird science. Uh, or maybe, you know, dark rituals or uh, 
if you're introducing magic anyway into your steampunk. Uh, mm-hmm. or, but mostly, you know, through some kind of weird science, either uh, intentional or gone awry. Yeah, you could even kind of include this as kind of a opener for an un, uh, like a vampire-like guy. You mm-hmm. can build on that with talents, but a vampire-like guy, say like Doctor Morbius from the the comics, uh, Mor- Morbius, he started out as a normal man, but it was a elixir that turned him into a vampire creature and gave him superpowers. So yeah, cool. Yep. <laughs> All right, so those are the two, and then of course Chris and I included the Clockwork Man, which I think is another one that you could easily add to any um, mm-hmm. steampunk setting. And what we did, all we did was we took the rules that they did for Star Wars, uh, the droids in Star Wars, and we just applied the steampunk aesthetic to it. Yeah, and that do. was it. Yeah, that's it. We retrapped it, it, if you will. Retro futurism. Ta-da! Retro futurism. Boom. Yep. Done. <laughs> <laughs> Makes me think of the Clockwork guy in uh, the Hellboy movie. You know, oh yeah, friends, yeah. That's yeah. The 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 assassin, the clockwork assassin. Yeah, <laughs> he was, yeah. He was creepy, dude. In, oh my god. Yeah. <laughs> in, in some ways, you almost think he could be a, a revenant because he, he started out as human, but yeah. introduced, you know, surgically introduced all these mechanisms into himself. So right, right. It's half and half. <laughs> yep. All right. All so right. so that was the that was the um, species. Let's get into mm-hmm. some gear here. Yeah. yeah, and um, <laughs> love the Springfest. And I must say, <laughs> just reading the uh, just reading the um, the descriptions instead of just looking at the table, you got to read the descriptions of these. <laughs> oh fuck awesome. yeah, those are oh, great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for me, a staple of any good tech, you know, gritty technology setting is chainsaws. So the rotor sword. <laughs> The rotor sword with this mm-hmm. basically a chainsaw sword that can go really fucking bad. Yeah. You know, it it's not like exactly like your awesome Warhammer space whatever that is, Warhammer forty K swords. Yeah. Where they're those no, these are big, bulky, steam powered freaking mm-hmm. monstrosities that are inaccurate and you know dude, I yeah, totally heavy. any totally would hurt you know if somebody rolled a despair running one of these things yeah totally have them hurt themselves with it or well, have it run out of freaking energy or well let me know, read the, let me read these two sentences it says although a rotary sword is extremely deadly the impractic impracticality of having to refuel it before battle <laughs> has prevented it becoming a mainstay of fighting forces additionally bringing it to a gunfight is still risky <laughs> <laughs> Just, that's pretty sweet. Yeah, I like that it's cumbersome and inaccurate. That yeah. that speaks to the fact that you know it's not something everybody's going to want to carry around. No, uh, no. So. cumbersome. No. What? What is it? Cumbersome three. Three. Yeah. So yeah, it's so got to have a brawn your, of... your, your your brawny guy will be the one yeah. carrying that. Brawn of three. <laughs> inaccurate one. You guys got any coal? My sword's out of my sword's out of fuel. I need a couple pieces of coal. Yeah, and the fuel we're talking about is not gas. It's not gas, people, because no combustion engines. It's coal, motherfucker. And then, yeah. and then, of course, or or you could get it specially created with an alchemical elixir, but that has to be specially made in shops. Yeah, uh, and you make it expensive as hell. Um, yeah. Yeah, that'd be cool. But anyhow, what else? They have a freaking death ray. 
<laughs> well, of course. <laughs> Stefan, mean, is there something you like? <laughs> I mean, yeah. Well, I like the death ray. You can't, you can't have, you know, a good villain, good arch villain, uh, mad scientist without a death ray or some kind exactly. of death ray, which reminds me of, of a campaign I used to play in when right. my friends ran the Torg campaign, which is multiple realities. And one of our mm. villains, uh, I actually played a card to make him a recurring villain for my character. And I forget forget his name, but he, every time he showed up with his his uh, cohort Igor, he had a different kind of ray. One was the death ray, the, the, the anti gravity ray, the de evolvo ray, which turned humans into chimps. <laughs> wow! <laughs> the ice the ice gun, you know. And every time nice. he showed up, we'd defeat him, but he'd escape. It's not it's not one of those campaigns where you know you kill everybody. He always manages to escape, which is fine. Yeah. Because I got more XP every time he showed up. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. And since we defeated him, he has less resources. He would show up with a less impressive vehicle. At the the end, he was showing up in in a steam-powered, let's say, moped kind of thing. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) And and you know what? I'll tell you, this sentence right here kind of says it all about... Don't even worry about what the freaking science is behind it. Our no. death ray fires a beam of electricity, radiate ions, charge aether, mm-hmm. or what or what have you, <laughs> in an erratic path, like that of a lightning bolt. So they exactly. even said, what have you? It doesn't really matter. Whatever it is, it does it. So <laughs> It seems to run on some form of electricity. <laughs> that's, that's, it. Right. that's why it looks yeah. like a lightning bolt. <laughs> and it's hard to control, a bit like, you know, yeah. in Ghostbusters, the, the proton packs. <laughs> Yeah, shooting. So use lots of those threats and and, and despairs to shoot up the scenery. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you want to cross the streams with death rays, do you? No, maybe not. <laughs> no. Then you get an undeath ray, maybe. There you go. <laughs> <gasps> Steampunk Ghostbusters. <gasps> there we bum, go. Bum, bum. <laughs> that would be sweet. <laughs> Sounds interesting. Anything else we no. want to say about weapons? I mean, there's a few more weapons here. Ah, uh, there's a bunch of them. The clockwork grenade yeah. is cool, but. Oh yeah! Oh my God! Yeah, the clockwork grenade. Yeah. <laughs> so you can give your characters shell shock. There you go. <laughs> oh. Baka. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, That's I'd cool. like to go into the armors. I yeah. Think we want to mention this one one really cool armor. Go ahead, say it, um, Tony. Say it. What's Admiral Arthur's astounding amplomotive armor. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, you have to have at least a few pieces of gear. Five words, same beginning letter in your setting, if you want. So that's a word. Yeah, this is a. <laughs> it's a large, heavy suit of armor. <laughs> Thick metal plating completely covers the wearer. Although the helmet may be easily removed, or has a hinging faceplate. Hmm. hmm. <laughs> this armor. That, I wonder. Hmm. This armor provides the best protection, short possible, short of riding in an actual tank. <laughs> but it is far too heavy for anyone to support. That's where Admiral Arthur Schilling patented steam-powered amplomotive architecture comes in. <laughs> <laughs> Just throw big words. It's good. Yep. That's what it's. <laughs> By the way, of co- a complex system of gears and hydraulics. The armor responds to and enhances each movement by the wearer. The wearer of the, and then it goes into the game stats. I just love that flavored task text it for great? that. Yeah, it captures the idea behind the setting in one piece of armor right there. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Um, 
and and then you know you got your others, but that one really just kind of hello. <laughs> <laughs> there it is. <laughs> Or maybe yeah. it has different letters at the beginning of every word. It forms an acronym, you know. Oh, exactly. Well, obviously, there's that. <laughs> yeah, <man. laughs> yeah. There, so you know. Medusa. You figure out something that works with Medusa. Oh no, not that. That's right. <laughs> keep it simple, stupid. Let's not make it a seven-letter word. Now we got to keep no, it. You no. know, fi- <laughs> I'm just, I'm just fucking. Right. Let's keep it simple, Stefan. There you go. <laughs> oh no, no, no. It's keep it simple, stupid. That's the kiss method. Yep. <laughs> yes, I know. <laughs> <sighs> I like to use it because it invokes kiss. Yeah! Yes. All right, sorry. <laughs> All, right. <laughs> <laughs> All right, are we ready to get into some pieces of gear? Oh, guess what? Yeah, there's Stephen? other gear. I found your I found your jetpack. Oh, it's called an aero pack. Or oh, aero course, suit. Yes. There we go. <laughs> I wonder if it's I'm wondering if it's red and gold. No, I don't know. It might be. <laughs> so basically, character wearing an aero pack can fly. Yep. It doesn't go. matter. Um, <laughs> none of these devices are incredibly reliable, though. <laughs> so a despair <laughs> result means it runs out of power at the end of your character's turn and remains unpowered for the rest of the session. So basically, you make a piloting check. Um, yeah. yeah. And to try and land. <laughs> It also and means that if your character doesn't make it to solid ground by that point, they're in for a fall. <laughs> nice. <laughs> this fucking shit's made by Wiley e. Coyote. Yeah, it is. <laughs> this isn't flying. This is falling with grace. That's right. And there's a couple things. There's a miracle tonic here, which increases your wound threshold and strange strain threshold by five. For the mm. current encounter, but you got to make a resilience check, <laughs> or well, of you're gonna have a headache. <laughs> Furthermore, uh, it once it wears off, if you're you still keep the number of wounds you had. Oh yeah, and if that exceeds your threshold, you go down. <laughs> yeah, you're immediately capacitated. I love that. That's, That's great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, what's the last really good one there, Stefan? Oh, let's see. There's a few little things. Let's see. Van Rin's potion of paralyzation. <laughs> oh, this tonic does not does have the distinction of being created by an actual doctor <laughs> who is attempting to invent an anesthetic. However, various unscrupulous individuals have repurposed it as an incapacitating poison. Ah, oh, the cads! They stole my secret formula. <laughs> <laughs> Now they want to put it into the city's water system. <laughs> there you go. Plot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> nice. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, that covers, I mean, the gear really does make the setting again. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And all these things, Chris and I went, oh, we're making a steampunk setting. What gear should we throw in? All of it? Okay. <laughs> and then some. <laughs> oh, yeah, we made our own. But mm-hmm. we incorporated all of this stuff into our steampunk setting that we created. Right. Now, let's get into the adversaries. Yes. So, so <laughs> first one that comes to mind is you've got these dirigibles out there, right? Well, ta-da! Air pirates. Yeah, buddy. <laughs> Boom. My name is Don Carnage of the Iron yeah. Vulture. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, they have, a, they have a couple... So, in... And I've noticed in these adversary 
stats, they have gear in here that isn't necessarily on their list that we that they put like a revolver. Mm-hmm. Right? But I don't see a limited ammo for the revolver. Nope, because it's got more than five shots. So got two. Yeah. That said revolver is actually listed on um Oh crap, it's listed somewhere. Is it? Oh. Yeah. Oh, is it in the modern oh, setting? Oh. Might be the modern one. It, it's in the modern setting. Yep. Got it. Well, with a revolver, mm-hmm. at least you can use some of those uh, despairs to run out of ammo. Didn't load it properly. Yeah. So. <laughs> nope. No, so, it's not. Besides, I thought limited ammo was more for things like like a missile launcher that has, only has one shot at a time. Yeah. Right. That's that's yeah. true. Well, and, I, I just mentioned that because there was kind of a debate out on uh, the forums about revolvers. Should they? Because should they have limited ammo six? Because just six shots, but then it got into mm-hmm. talking about you know, well, do you really want to keep track of that or whatever? But well, and anyone who had a revolver back in the day, I mean, revolvers always had the removable cylinders, yep. so you could have a, a gun belt filled with those remove those cylinders. Do you want to make someone buy extra reloads, or do you want to just use the system that's already in place? Absolutely. And I think that's why they did that. The system that's already in place of if you roll three threat or mm-hmm. a despair. Yeah, you ran out of bullets. Yeah, because or else you can do the same thing with any firearm, like limited ammo eleven, limited ammo fifty for some machine gun. With it, mm-hmm. but do you really want to start calculating each shot? Yeah, exactly. Because the the dice are supposed to reflect, you know, more not to say one shot per dice roll. Right. It could, it could be you taking bang, 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 mm-hmm. and one of them hitting finally. Yep. <laughs> so our next they, one. Oh, go ahead. Don. So. No, they they provided us with uh, the the stats for these items anyway, mm-hmm. even though they don't, you know, they don't have an, um, them in the block. Right. We have stats for them. Put a put a price on them, GMs. If you see a if you see a stat for it, put a price on it. Tell the characters, oh yeah, that revolver's pretty. You know, it's pretty common in the setting. One hundred fifty credits, mm-hmm. or. No, they're not very common in the setting, so they're rarity six, and they're five hundred and fifty credits. There you go. Up, yeah. up to you, GM. Mm-hmm. So, all right. So no, our, next, the, our next one here is a Royal Marine, which I I like. There is this this ability that they have honor and grit. Okay, so when mm-hmm. one of these Royal Marines exceed when they're um when they exceed their wound threshold. They can immediately immediately make a hard discipline check, and out of as an out of turn incidental healing one wound per success, and if it brings them back below their threshold, they get back up. Now that's nice. a tough freaking adversary, and that's a nice talent that you could put on. I mean, you can reskin this to put it on whatever. I haven't seen this before. Have you guys seen something like this before? In like no, here and on, no. I haven't. No, nope. that's pretty cool, new. you know, yeah, representing, you know, the the stiff upper lip of the British Royal Navy or whatever yeah. uh, Navy. <laughs> exactly. Well, some of the um like the Strahd zombies in a in the D Shift 7D thing, if you go, they go below, you know, they run out of hit points, you make a con save or and they they don't go down, they stay back up. That's what this reminded me right. of here and when you when they think, "Oh yeah, he's destroyed," and then they get back up, they're like, "Oh, what just happened? <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you're gonna reskin it, though, don't do it with minions. Keep no, it rivals the, or nemeses. Yeah, yeah, this, yeah, this is on a, the the rivals, the Royal Marine rival. 
What's the yeah. next one we have? Then we have the uh, Clockwork Animal Automaton. <laughs> the Clockwork Automata tends to be powered by coil springs, and their actions are usually dictated by a complicated series of wax cylinders, apparently. <laughs> Any kind of actual sentience, of course, is impossible, but some animals do seem to behave in the almost equivalent of their, their, their animal counterpart. So, you know, cool. I... Uh, like one of the other pages has a, a gentleman with a, a clockwork raven kind of on his shoulder, so he would he would be attracted to shiny things, perhaps, and that it tends to pick <laughs> there <you> stuff <laughs> and fly around and annoy yep. people. Yep. So, nice. I like this clockwork so fragility. Um, uh, what do you call it? Ability, where basically if they get, if they take a crit, they add plus twenty to the result. That's interesting. Well, yeah. Because, you know, they're small, usually, you know, they're not really made for combat, but, you know, so they might fly into pieces more easily. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Cool. The last one we have is the Colonial Governor, which is the only nemesis listed in this entry. Uh, mm-hmm. Governors are powerful individuals without exception. Uh, their abilities and primary focus are towards the social encounter. Uh, usually follow up with a group of uh, they're backed by marines, mercenaries, or even pirates. So this is more of a social adversary. Um, right. Their ability here for the colony, once <laughs> per round. I love it. Once per round, when targeted <laughs> by a combat check, you may choose one ally within range, and the attack then targets that character <laughs> instead of the colonial governor. This is this is that ability that I was trying to remember where I saw it in here. Um, yeah, it's the ability to grab a minion, let him take your freaking bullet for you. <laughs> minion shield. <laughs> yes. For the colony, I like the name of that. And, cool. Yeah, and and that's great. That's your that's your cowardly governor who yeah. you know who's all boisterous and gonna say all kinds of things. But as soon as the bullets start flying, uh, bullet sponge, come here. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> and this Which guy kind of reminds. Go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. No, no, go ahead, Steph. Which kind of reminds me in another system the uh, for. for for NPCs, the fanatics, as they call it. So, no, where you know, the bad guy gets in, gets targeted by an attack. No, someone throws himself, maybe even oh, willingly, yeah. in front of the of the bullet. <laughs> yeah, this no! governor, this governor is going to be tough in a social fight because of this ruinous repartee talent that they could use once per encounter. They do an opposed charm or coercion versus discipline, and they. Tar- and the target suffers six tra- six strain, plus one strain oh. per success, and the governor heals that amount of strain. Good thing Damn. I only do that once per encounter. <laughs> Holy crap! Yeah, but still, yeah, but be an adversary <laughs> too. On top yeah. of that, these guys are tough negotiators. They are, yeah, yeah, definitely. So right. great, great way to skin go. a nasty social enemy. You could mm-hmm. reskin that to be maybe even. You know, not even up. You could make them a kingpin, a, 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 a mafia kingpin, or you could make them a um, was another really bad, badass social guy. This could be a you know maybe a, a senator and a and a yeah politician, politician, yeah, or some or some ruthless um uh, what do you call it corporate uh, uh, yeah um what am I thinking of? Exec. criminal exec. boss no um, corporate exec. No, I'm. Th- I can't think of the the word. 
It's all right. Champion of industry in a steampunk setting. No, you could somebody totally use it for one of your ambassador. I was thinking of the ah, word ah. of ambassador. Yeah, of course. Yeah, nice. Mm. Cool. All right, so that covers pretty much the generic stuff, and that covers pretty much a sample steampunk setting. Mm-hmm. But like we do, we go into the fluffy bits, and we got a section for that. Yes. All right, welcome to Setting the Tone. This is where we spotlight fluffy bits from a setting and uh, that set that tone for the game. And today we're going to talk about the Sovereigns of Steam setting, which was an example um, given to us by Fantasy Flight on page 150 of the core rulebook. And it goes into what that setting entails. Mm -hmm. And so it starts out talking about uh, this heliotrope sovereignty. Say that four times fast. (laughs) It's a vast empire stretching from the heart of long-civilized Margosa to the sands of Tortugos in the north and the ice wastes of the south. In other words, it's on another world somewhere. Uh, After a century of exploration and expansion and conquest, other nations on the continent have been brought to heel through diplomacy, or diplomatic maneuverings, complex marriage arrangements, and the mighty airships of the Royal Navy. Uh, Queen Vertoline and House Heliotropa. Uh, no one is. No one challenges them. Basically, so yeah. you've got this overarching empire. Again, it's that expansionist kind of uh, s- mentality, mm-hmm. and the the they oversee everything on some level uh, whether it's another foreign country that they manipulate through trade or through marriage or whether it's a you know one of their colonies so to speak where they have governors in place right either way um, the heliotropans mm-hmm. have this capital city called steel hearth that <laughs> goes cool into name. that that's a cool name go ahead yeah, and the, just the 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 um, image that this evokes, talking about towering brick and iron buildings running miles and miles along the banks of this big this the Arius River, and factories and are fill stain <laughs> factories stain the waters. That's an image. Fill the air with brown smoke of burning coal. Let's just say. The queen <laughs> has a group of army of laborers that keep the palace clean because it's so freaking dirty. The air is so dirty. That's just a great image. Right, and that, I mean, that, that invokes this, you know, think mm-hmm. of London, you know, when you see the pan- in-panning shots coming in on the Sherlock Holmes movies of London yeah. during Victorian times yeah. and how just filthy and smoky it looks. And we'll <laughs> dial that up to 11 and make it a megalopolis. Yep. And you've got this ginormous fucking city with millions <laughs> of people living in it and so many factories that you can't, you know, have no idea what's going on. Right. And they say here that foreign dignitaries and nobles travel to Steelhearth in the fall 
Because the southern winds blow away the worst of the smog. <laughs> That's great. That's, yeah, exactly. Yep. And, uh... Yeah, and you mentioned so, they, a lot of the debutantes dream of marrying into the heliotropin dynasty. You know? Not off. Not only does it offer wealth and prestige to them, but it also allows them to guarantee them a job. <laughs> because... <laughs> I'm sure jobs are going to be more and more scarce as things get more and more automated. So, mm-hmm. so outside the halls of power, how's that look, Stefan? That's it. I was just uh, reading up on that too, uh, for my part. <laughs> so yeah, <laughs> I, just like earlier, we were talking about the dystopian or pa- part of it, or the, the stratus strat- um, layers of society, or the haves and have-nots. So this covers basically the lower classes mm-hmm. uh, that toil in steel hearts factories and struggle for day-to-day survival in the alleys and you know, soot-stained uh, apartments that they have. <laughs> and uh, the, he says the best that they can hope for uh, is maybe a meager salary to pay for the some, some cheap alcohol and uh, you know expensive rents that they have to, uh, to pay for. Yeah. Uh, so that's where you can have some of the struggle uh, Maybe in the background or as part of the main story, as maybe revolution is stirring between uh, between this uh, this cast of society who keeps things going, and uh, maybe yeah they're seeing their jobs uh, maybe being threatened by automation and all these machines coming in. So okay. uh, and the the, uh, the rich are trying to keep them in the, in line and make sure that they they stay. Uh, <laughs> up above and untouched by all this dirt and uh, the rabble, you know? <laughs> yep. Nice. Yeah. Then it goes into about, you know, well, with this vast empire, you got to keep it together. So how do they do that? Well, they have this vast spider web of rail lines that stretches for, out from steel hearth and links all of Margosa. What a great and image. Few- what a great yes. image that is, right? Just, mm-hmm. oh, that's cool. All right. And, and no, that's fine. Uh, and the, it, it sends all these new technologies out to the far reaches of the empire mm-hmm. and um, every corner of the continent, ensuring that the empire has eco- economic dominion over all. Uh, many wow. smaller contr- countries grumble quietly that the railroad, along with the more recently developed telegraph network, uh, ensures military domination as well. Mm-hmm. I mean... Few wars can up start when the Queen's countless regiments of fusiliers and hussars are only days away by rail. I really love that little bit there mm-hmm. of, you know, you're not going to start a war with them when they can freaking send just legions coming your way exactly. as quick as possible. Um, so well, that's it, because communication and speed of, you know, uh, on land uh, could be another factor of uh, of them dominating militarily as well. Yep. This little bit brings to me a place where, you know, a great group of adventures can take place. You can do one-shots, you can do campaigns solely based on the railways themselves. And, you know, the one-shot, like we talked in our last episode where we talked about pulp settings where you have that, or sorry, the mystery setting where you have the murder on the Orient Express. You could totally bring that right here into your Sovereigns of Steam and have a murder and give it all the 
twists and turns that a steampunk setting would throw in into it and you have this murder mystery on this train that's going from one you know leaving maybe it's headed to the capital and oh, you have mm-hmm. to solve the crime before you get there or the the queen's imperial inspectors are going to dock your pay and then you won't be able to pay your rent you know all this other stuff yeah so that's cool i like yeah. that you can even do a little bit of um play that whole um revolution revolution it's just rising a rebellion if you will might be taking out this mm-hmm. telegraph network you know yep you know sabotaging the rail lines and and those kinds of things yeah there's a lot of a lot of and all you your do here. all your old west stories can be told around this because i mean mm-hmm. i don't know if you guys have played a lot of old west games but every time those old west games come up the railway, the telegraph, those become important parts yeah. of that expansion yep. into the West that the U.S. did. And this is the same kind of element. You throw all those little feels in there. The natives in the area, they're not Native Americans. They're some other kind of native in the area that are upset because of the, the steel horse is traveling yeah. through, you know, the yep. steel dragon is traveling through their lands. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe, you know. It's not fully fleshed out, so you can have these little bits that you throw in yeah, there. That you a mining town that's just being boot boot stomped by the local governor, right? And you got yeah. a group of miners that you got to rally to revolution or whatever, you know. I yeah, co- those it are comes symptoms. to mind Deadlands oh, uh, yeah. because it's a steampunk setting. You could totally drop out some of the more supernatural mo- elements mm-hmm. but you could totally include a dead you know reskin a deadlands adventure and put it in a sovereigns of steam campaign oh absolutely absolutely mm-hmm. so another that, aspect oh go ahead another aspect i just reminded like uh, that comes through with the victorian era kind of thing is that exploration can also be part of of the world because not every every part of the world has been explored you know mm-hmm. just like at, on earth you know they, they were still referring to the deep darkest Africa parts of Africa or uh, even you know South America wasn't very well known even North America there's still plenty of legends there or the far east oh, absolutely take, so take a nod out of there and you can have in uh, in Margosa you know the jungles of Margosa what's what hidden secrets are there that exactly. might improve for uh, the, uh, the wealth of, of the queen? You know? yeah. <laughs> Want to do a Tarzan under- story? Set it in a jungle somewhere. Oh, Just, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> you know it. There yeah, is a heart of darkness. There is a heart uh, of darkness there somewhere. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the phantom. <laughs> well, it does Dang. go into continues onward and it talks about what their kind of their frontier is and that is the boiling sea along their i believe it's on along their western borders yes Um, they call it the unknown west yes the unknown west so along their western borders is this boiling sea uh that kind of acted as a natural boundary protecting what was beyond from expansion for many years however recently a member of the uh, Queen's Navy, uh, a woman by the name of Agatha Scarborough and her crew have learned how to breach the steam clouds. Uh, obviously with some sort of maybe new airship technology. 
Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, and on the far side of the Boiling Sea, they found a boundless expanse of islands and archipelagos. Hello, Pirates of the Caribbean. Here we go. Yeah, <laughs> um, <laughs> you know it. Uninhabited. Oh, uninhabited and pristine and full of valuable natural resources. Uh, and it set off a furious land rush. So here you go. You've got the like that expansion into Africa that the that the mm-hmm. English did um, in the 1800s. Now you have that in uh, going into this unknown region, the unknown West. Oh yeah. So, uh, go and, ahead. And of course, like like anything else in these, they call them the colonies, the Teren the Terenia colonies. They have, you know, this become, they say, a haven of entrepreneurs, inventors, criminals, and revolutionaries. So, um, basically, if you want to, if you don't necessarily like the, uh, the class restrictions of Steelhearth and want to build a new life, this is where you go. Yeah, try and hop on an airship and get to the colonies and do it. Right. So, um, yeah, this is just great for all kinds of stories. Like you said, the Pirates of the Caribbean, there are plenty of other RPG systems out there that are built all around Caribbean pirates. You know, there was, uh, mm-hmm. there's one, uh, Pirates of the Spanish Main is one from uh, Savage Worlds, and there's all countless others that you can mm-hmm. drop. Seven seven, mm-hmm. Yeah, you could drop right in here if you want, yeah. <clears throat> and it's all airships instead of, you know, Surface ships, it's airships. It's all yeah, it can be both. Well, it can be both. It can be yeah. the trains, and that's when you know you do like old movies where you have characters are traveling, but you always all you see is the map with a little plane going on uh, over it to represent them traveling. <laughs> oh, here's <laughs> if you want to skip over. Here's something interesting. Reading alchemical elixirs able to transfer humans into ravening beasts have begun making their way back across. The boiling sea, oh, causing oh, yeah, chaos and mayhem <laughs> in the streets of Margosa. So that's kind of cool. You can maybe have a group of adventurers that are monster hunters, hunting down revenants, yeah. hunting down the mongrels mm-hmm. that are sh- popping up in these cities. If you want to do that kind of a campaign, you know that's yeah. that's a possibility. Why would you hunt down my character like that? That's not cool, dude. Because it's your character, dude. <laughs> <laughs> Mm-hmm. Well, and there's yeah. not, with the in, uh, the imperial expanse, there comes the criminal element, and that's mm-hmm. what it was talking about. There, it was talking yeah. about the the mad scientists that are all out there that want to go out there where there's no imperial oversight, and you've mm-hmm. got your criminal element. That's your pirates and your your um, you know it says here uh, not all of the uh, where's it not all of the founding motives are so pure. Some of the sandy coves and green canopies of the furthest islands hide refuges of depravity and dark science. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so you want to do raid a man sci- mad scientist's castle? This, mm-hmm. throw it on this freaking, you know, throw it on an island in the middle of nowhere. There you go. Uh, uh, you know, former members of the Royal Society that have been banished for their unspeakable <laughs> crimes, um, yep. experiments and such. That kind of stuff comes to mind there. Yeah, that's um, pretty. There's some pretty interesting that Imperial inspectors roam the colonies searching for these mad scientists, and also squash stories claiming that few aristocratic families have paid handsomely to resurrect a dear child or loved one. 
<laughs> yeah. Some even claim the Royal Society has established its own clandestine laboratory, where it works to design new clockwork soldiers. Nice. So it can fill the Queen's armies with metal automatons. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Is it so automatons where... or automatons? Yes. yes. Is it tomato or tomato? <laughs> yes. That's where you have the secret base of... Uh, you throw in a little bit of James Bond infiltration, like, ha-ha, we have to stop this. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah, dude. Uh, you can totally do spy games, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Between houses that represent, you know, mercantile interest. I give some good names. Yeah. So, yeah, There's... so, yeah. The, the new charter corporations that complicate matters even further, they say. Founded by a royal decree, uh, these organizations nevertheless have ar- aristocratic ties because they have all the money, you know, they need mm-hmm. to stay in power. So these mercantile classes control the charter corporations, giving uh, a new luster to names like, you know, like Sirius, Ward, Beryl, and Danbright in Steelheart's Halls of Power. That's another cool aspect. So, yeah, these aristocrats are becoming captains of industry. Mm-hmm. Exploiting the colonies for their own profit. Mm-hmm. Well, exactly, Perfect. because they see resources there. So, you know, they great opportunities to expand uh, and mm-hmm. support their power base back home. Black mm-hmm. sales, baby. Black sales. Yeah. You do black yeah. sales and drop it in here, <laughs> right? That's mm-hmm. it. Yep. So, you can... Uh, you can be part of uh, the West Sirius airship fleet. <laughs> nice. Where you go out there and meet new life and new civilizations and bomb the hell out of them and take <laughs> all their treasure. <laughs> yep. Or maybe you meet a lost continent and it's full of dinosaurs and, and lizard men. <laughs> nice. And then there's the element of war, where you have mm-hmm. these... The colonies that are even run by the queen's agents uh, with proper members of the aristocratic households that cannot be counted on for their loyalty, like Victor Kane, the governor of Deckland, the largest and most civilized colony, may fly the imperial flag over his estate. However, he happily takes money from the Barrel family to run its quartz mines how it pleases. He dispatches royal hussars to the art of his argent guard to break strikes in the galvanite refineries. So he rules with like a heavy hand. So revolution would be a thing there, but he's also corrupt. So you could, you know, if you could expose his corruption, maybe you could make that a better country. Mm-hmm. And then, but then there's other colonies like Covert Colony, which is a way has a wayward heliotropin scion named Mackenzie Heliotrope Augustus, <laughs> who doesn't even pretend any loyalty to the crown, and they have shot even shot down at least one navy airship to prove it. Nice. So you could have this whole war between, you know, the covert colony and the Imperial Navy that you do as a as a campaign seed and the you know, players are on either side of that war trying to either broker peace or uh, mm-hmm. be involved in the war. Maybe they're soldiers in a in in a battalion in the in the covert colony trying to defend against this overwhelming navy pretty badass campaign idea you could almost do a gritty war campaign right there you totally yeah. could yeah because you know, sometimes you see war footage from world war one and two it's like yeah that was pretty gritty nasty business mm-hmm. people trench warfare and so forth so 
right. definitely. You know, with new technology rolling around, you know, big exosuits walking the the battlefield. Uh, <laughs> you can have Automatons. you can have clockworks. Yeah, you can yeah. have your clockwork automatons mm-hmm. on one side, right? <laughs> and you can have these guys in these uh, in your what was that the 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 A five armor. I'm calling A5 armor because I can't remember what the name is. <laughs> yeah, the uh, right, the or power yeah, armor. The, yeah, the aero suits dive bombing the uh, <laughs> the clockwork uh, <laughs> soldiers. <laughs> yep. Either way, these issue you know these issues plus airship pirates, the long and lost and abandoned colonies, secret military expeditions, rival nations, and the occasional armed rebellion make the colonies a patchwork. And a web of conflicting interests or a great place to run a variety of campaigns or yeah. serialized adventures. Mm-hmm. And that pretty much covers the whole setting in a nutshell. Yeah, what they've, uh, what they've put in. We've added a few extra bits as we, we thought of them. So. <laughs> yeah, so when are you going to run it, Tony? You ready yet? No, no I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, after my tearing off, maybe. Who knows? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Oh, so are we ready to uh, go to our favorite part of the show? Uh, well, yeah. My favorite part and yours. All right. Welcome back to our show and our favorite part of the show called Advantageous Threats. Well done. <laughs> Where well done. <laughs> we all create a little situation, uh, set up a little uh, scenario and uh, with different characters, and the two other people try to trip them up. There we go. <laughs> and then, of course, we roll the dice and see what, we, what we've got. <laughs> yeah. So we'll start tonight with Tony. We'll start by who's youngest and oh. work our way up to, oh. uh, to the great... The great age. Starting with the baby. Yes. Beauty before age. I like it. Okay. There you go. <laughs> we got All right. No, Matt Stark isn't here. <laughs> uh, you, only you consider him beautiful. I'm just saying. <laughs> All right. Oh. His wife, uh, maybe. <laughs> I don't know if she would say that. I don't know. I don't know her. <clears throat> she may go, I hate that man. She's just married to him for his money. You never know. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> Because he's got a huge dice bag. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Uh, All right. So my character, Roland Hargrave III, is a mongrel lawman attempting to disperse a small public disturbance at a railway station in the Sovereigns of Steam campaign. Nice. He is going to be using the scathing tirade uh, talent. Mm-hmm. which is a tier two talent found on page 77 of the core rulebook, And it is an active action that says this character may use this talent to make an average coercion check. Mm-hmm. And for each success, uh, it generate one, uh, and en- er, generates one enemy within range suffers one strain for each advantage one enemy affected by scathing tirade suffers an additional strain. Now, my 
GMs have determined I can use this narratively and basically have said for each success I get or each advantage, I can convince people to disperse from the area. Nice. Yes. Um, so how many and, people uh, are we talking here in this group, do you think? Oh, probably I don't know. What do you think is in the, let's see, a railway station, a public disturbance, probably maybe mm-hmm. a, a, like a 15. small group of protesters protesting. Maybe 10, uh, maybe a dozen or are you oh, thinking I mean, maybe a couple dozen? 20, 20, I would 20. Say at least 20, 24. Okay. Yeah. Well, 20. Um, so difficulties based on group size, table seven dash one, page one twenty. daunting. It'll be a daunting check for anything, any, a group between 16 and 50. So daunting. Okay. Now you're a mongrel. I am. So you're going to upgrade that twice right off the bat because you're a mongrel. Because it suggests that DMs, GMs, upgrade social skill checks twice based on the based on the um, character options here. Excellent. Okay. Now I'm wondering well, if I, that's because I also have another talent mm-hmm. that allows, and it's called proper upbringing. Which is a tier one talent found on page 74. When your character makes a social skill check in polite company, which would mm-hmm. be considered society here, polite people, mm-hmm. uh, you may suffer a number strain to use this talent to add an equal number of advantage to the role. Well, now, let me back up just a moment with okay. what I did to upgrade your skill twice. This is actually under the beast within. You're not necessarily beasting out, right? You look nope. human. So I would think it would only apply if you're beasting out, correct? Uh, yeah. Are, are, yeah. It's under the beast within, yes. Yeah, it is. So forget what I said. It's, it's daunting, okay. no two upgrades. So Very well then. Well, right. it's daunting enough. That's, that's, I did that's, a, yeah. that's daunting enough, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I only have one rank in proper upbringing, so I'm going to get one advantage. So I'm just going to set a green die aside here with one mm-hmm. advantage on it. Um. And that right now my pool is two yellow, one green for my coercion uh, with four purple dice. Do you have anything else you want to add? I would um, say that even though you're not beasting out, maybe people know, have, maybe some people may have heard that you're a mongrel. That may go against you, maybe at least a setback dice. Excuse me. Okay, I'll throw one in there for that. You know what? Actually, let's... But I, I do have a tin star on my coat. You'd think maybe I could probably put a boost oh, die in for that. Put a boost die in for yes. that. And you know what, yep. Stefan? Instead of giving mm-hmm. them a setback die, let's use that reason why we want to up why we want to use a story point here and upgrade it to our uh, bed. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. That to, there are some, some people yeah. there are some people who know that you are that they've maybe seen you mongrel out. So okay. that's our reason so, for throwing a run right. in there for you. There you go. Spending the story. All right. Well, I'm happy with this pool, are you? I am too. Yep. All right. So rolling it out first of all your red die came up blank again that happens to me more times than you can count Good Lord. Uh, <laughs> secondly my free advantage was canceled out by one of the more diff make you know one of the more difficult the dice mm-hmm. and I also have one of my yellow dice canceled one of the difficulty dice leaving me with oh and my boost die cancels out the last failure which leaves me with net two successes and two advantage. Ooh. Ah, so with two successes, I would, you know, I can disperse a number determined by the GM of people from the conflict. And I would like to actually 
spend my advantage to make them all come from one side of the argument. Okay. So, like okay. a group of protesters, maybe, as opposed to the people who are standing there trying to, you know, get them the counter protesters. Gotcha. Yeah, that sounds that. Yeah, that sounds good. I'm mean, go. succeeding. Just kind of all these people, you succeeded in dispersing it and yeah. not letting it come to blows, if you will. That's right. it. Well done. Diffuse the situation. Well, golf law man. and order must be kept in a civilized <laughs> society. That's right. For the queen. Pip, pip. <laughs> That's right. For the colonies. For the empire. <laughs> nice. There we go. All right. Uh, so then we go to, to our wonderful Chris. Yeah, so Chris I have Spicer. something strange here. Yes, I am. Mm-hmm. I have a hunter in the something strange setting. Uh-huh. His name is Chester Winsome. He's on a uh, he's on a trail of a hundred and fifty year old vampire, or oh, is it really? the other way around? We don't know. <laughs> yeah, W. Emmett Roebuck, the Civil War vampire, has just gone invisible, and Chester Winsome needs to spot him. And just after he's augmented himself, going down like this alley or whatever, right? So Chester, he's got a perception of two yellow, two green. Um, the extra, the second green is because he, he augmented himself with the um, with his magiques, and gotcha. um, it's gonna be <laughs> it's gonna be the against the stealth of Emmett Roebuck, and the fact that he went invisible. So we've got three red, one purple, and four setback dice. Holy mac! Is quite the. <laughs> This is quite the freaking mm. um, pool. Um, however, Chester has a knack for this kind of stuff, so he's going to take two of the setback dice off, and he's actually using a flashlight to ah. take a little bit of the darkness away. If you guys wanted to do that, so is some of the four setback dice. One no, of the setback is the, due to darkness. No, the four setback dice is because he's gone invisible. All right. So, yeah, uh, it, but it is dark. Could be dark. Well, he's a vampire, right? Yep. It's definitely dark. Yep. So the, I would have thrown another setback die in for the darkness. Okay. So there's that. Now, cool. There's, you said this is an alleyway? It could in a be. a city. I think it might be. Modern um, alley in a city. Maybe. What if there's vents of steam coming up through the drains. Ooh, I like that. That's a nice image there, dude. Puddles of water. It's just, it's just pot. There are little pockets of steam here and there okay. that may help the vampire and may hurt the vampire. So as he is invisible. Each? I'm thinking so one, one of, of each. each. All right, setback yeah. and a and a boost die. All right. Um, well, I'd like to spend a story point here because you know what been on a trail for of this guy for quite some time and he's um he knocked out my brother all right sounds good <clears throat> okay so i have three yellow a green and a blue i also have three red a purple and three black <laughs> three setback dice do you guys want to add more you want to flip a story point here or no? I'll leave that up to Stefan. 
No, I'm pretty good. I mean, three red is already quite, yeah. a, quite a bit. Oh, yeah. All right. Let's see what we're getting. Let's. All right. Yeah, let's see. One of them fell on the ground. Uh-oh. Well, did you remove your uh, some of the setback oh, yeah. dice because of your... Okay. Oh, I did. I did. All right. Ooh, he is triumphantly unsuccessful. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, he, Chester failed with um, three threat and a triumph. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> By the way. <laughs> so, right. yeah, allow, so, go for it. Allow me to take your threat. Yeah. So, you uh, hear a noise. You're moving down the alley. You hear a noise, and uh, you you think you've got him. You, you crouch down as you look prof- possibly under a dumpster, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden, a black cat bursts out of the dump out from under the dumpster and leaps into your face claws your face as it goes by oh shit you know, and, and you hear into the night. you oh. hear a weight on your back uh-oh and a laugh from above <laughs> as perhaps the vampire just launched himself up onto the rooftops from your back oh there you go gosh so those threat might be uh, some kind of setback on your next action. <laughs> or he freaking scratched me for some strain or whatever, Yeah, right? you could narrate that as a, mm-hmm. the cat scratched you right by the eye, so you're going to have setback dice to look if you're doing perception. You, you could right. totally do it as a, um, maybe you, you know, you, when he launched off your back, you fell to the ground, you're prone. There's a lot of ways you could narrate that with that threat. Yep, yeah. yep. What do you want with your triumph? I think my triumph would be Emmett dropped something on the ground. Yeah, I knew it. <laughs> I don't know what it is, but he dropped clank, something. Clank, 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 clank. As clank, he clank. leaps off of your back, uh-huh. you look down, yeah. and there is a small key to a rail uh, to a railroad uh, locker. One awesome. of those railroad lockers at the say Grand Central Station type lockers. Sweet. Love it. All right. Way to go, Chester. There you go. He hates cat. <laughs> if he gets out of this alive, he <laughs> might have another clue. <laughs> he might. All right, Stefan, who do you have? All right. I have, I uh, was inspired a little bit by the Sovereigns of Steam setting that we are discussed tonight. So I have Miranda Harrington, the first mate of the Imperial ship, the SS Valiant Thunder. An airship with a prestigious background. Nice. Now she's a part of the crew, part of the crew, and she needs to shut down the mad Doctor Azimacopoulos's microwave bomb that is placed <laughs> under the city. <laughs> Love the name, dude. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so the mad scientist says, you know, he worked on this in one of the colonies and brought it in with his goons, and he's because he's been slighted maybe by. Uh, the Imperial family. He wants to cook basically the entire uh, palace and the nearby population <laughs> for being wronged. So she's managed to track down where the bomb is under uh, in the sewers. Um, 
I had given her some mechanics, but mainly I was inspired by her trying to stop it from going off from a scene from an anime uh, I, I used to watch called Appleseed. Okay. Where the main character is, she's only had one clip of a gun and she has to hit a circuit board. Well, in this case, mm-hmm. she's got her trusty uh, sidearm, her Benjamin and uh, Masters six shooter, uh, and trying to hit the master control lever to shut the bomb off. But there's all kinds of pipes and obstructions, so she can only do it with her gun at long range. At long range, okay. All right. So she's got three green, two yellow as her range light. It's a custom weapon. She's used to it. It's mm-hmm. her signature weapon. So it's uh, it's superior. So that automatically gives her an advantage, which I'm going to use a yep. boost die as a indicator I've got one. Right. And accurate two, which gives her two boost dies. But with trying to search for him, she met up with a couple of goons, and now her, her good hand... Is, is is damaged. She's got a, like a critical oh. wound on that hand. So she has to use her off hand. Oh, okay. Now, before so we all go the any further... Are, are, are defeated, but she has mm-hmm. to defuse it before it actually goes off. Actually, before we go further, I actually... I, Tony... I'm um, with you. You're thinking the same thing I am. Are you? I'd like to combine mechanics and ranged. I would like you to use your ranks and mechanics with your agility. Exactly, the, w- dude. Right. We are we are born from the. You're going to be making a ranged attack with mechanics. Right. Yes. All right. Because you need awesome. to know where to shoot what specific part of the bomb is. Right. So it, okay. So that'll be your that'll be um, three yellow and two green. Yep. Now it's long range, so right there it's three. It's it's that's three purple. Um, I'm even gonna say because it's so small, it actually mm-hmm. acts as if it's extreme range. So I would increase the difficulty by one. What do you think, Tony? I agree. All right. So long range is usually mm-hmm. three. Yep. So add another. So add another a fourth purple. one in there. Yep. Right. And you're you're using your offhand, which yep. when using an offhand weapon, you increase the difficulty by one. So now I'm going to increase it to a fifth purple. Ooh. Right. So I got five purple. Nice. And three green, two yellow. Uh, no, th- two green, three yellow, two blue for accurate. Mm-hmm. And then you're going to add a add an advantage because it's superior. And all I've right. got an advantage. And since all the goons have been dealt with, she she's putting at least her hand, her arm, on... A pipe and She's an aim. To, um, yeah, try to aim, double cool. aim. All right, might as well. She's trying to save the city after all. Oh yes, double oh, aim. Of course, Please. She is double too. aim, yeah. and I would flip. I would flip a story point um, mm-hmm. because you know members of her family are up there as well. So <laughs> and I have a reason as the GM for us to uh, flip a story point. Yep, and I so, wonder if it's the same reason I'm thinking of. Go ahead. Well, you said all the minions were taken care of, so you were in a previous firefight, and while you did reload, you reloaded in a hurry, and you're not sure exactly how many rounds you put in there. Well, that's it, and if they're properly loaded. There you go. (laughs) She's doing it with her off hand. My other, my my reason was, (laughs) you're shooting a fucking bomb. (laughs) You're shooting a explosive. Well, that could that could be just a setback dice at the very least, just for the nerves. <laughs> there you go, setback die for nerves. 
Perfect. All right. All right. Go. All right, this so sounds good to final me. Final pool is one static advantage, four yellow, one green, four boost dice, four yeah. purple difficulty dice, one challenge die, and a black yeah. die. And a black die. Jesus. So. Damn. All right, All right, so we'll be here until next, well, next Tuesday. We'll figure out what you yeah. rolled <laughs> as you count it up. All right, let's go. There we go. All right, so remove the blanks ones real quickly. So okay. we do have a triumph. Ooh. Um, the red die did not come out of despair, but there are two failures on it. So let me just quickly educate all of that. It cancels out. We've got quite a few threats. <laughs> Nice. All over here. Um, we've got an advantage, though. I'll calculate all my advantages. we got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, <laughs> eight advantages. Holy crap. <laughs> one, two, three, four, five, six threat. So I'm left with two advantages. Keep that dice there. Mm-hmm. And as far as failures, only two failures on all those dice which removes the successes from that one and that one. There you go. <laughs> I'm still left with... She manages... She does succeed, at least to save the city with one, two, three, four, with a triumph. So four successes. And one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, seven advantage. <laughs> and a triumph. Seven advantage. Holy no, Minus not seven. Not, one. Not one seven. advantage. Yeah, no. Yeah, only six. six, seven. So, yeah. Well, it was eight total advantages we're taking into account. <laughs> two, two advantages. <laughs> oh, so many dice. Only two advantages are left uncanceled. There we go. Holy shit. <laughs> That's quite the... So, yeah. So, sometimes you have to be careful when you have that many dice. What did uh, your end up being with now? So, four successes... Two an advantage and a two advantage and a triumph. And a triumph. So of course, so yeah. So her hands shaking, she manages to just exhale at the proper moment. Bang, bang, bang! A couple of shots hits the, the control lever. The whole thing shuts down. Nice. <laughs> triumph. With uh, with triumph. I mean, uh, maybe the. The whole thing just breaks down. Uh, it was only good for one use, and by, one by use. powering up, it just expels its energy safely. Yeah. And it can't, it's no longer a bomb. Nope, nope, it's nope. no longer a bomb. So uh, hunk, it actually releases some extra energy back into the, the grid system, and people are <laughs> have free power for a month. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> there you go. Mm. And, and maybe with maybe, some advantage. Uh, sorry, go ahead. Maybe with her advantage, there's a, a clue on the device as to where Doctor Azamakopoulos yeah. yes has is. disappeared to. Nice. She, she only defeated his goons because, of course, he want, he doesn't want to be anywhere near the bomb. Of course. So. No. <laughs> so there you go. Oh, that's great. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Very Holy nice. crap! That was quite the pool, dude. I don't know why your bad guy had to have a double a an as name A Z Z. Or I don't know who you were insinuating there as bad guy. <laughs> who knows? No, well, actually, the, the last name is from a, a coworker I used to work with in Montreal. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, instead of Asmodeus. 
I think you pronounce you, pr- you spell it with an A S S, but I just thought you know A Z Z. Why not? <laughs> it sounds more sinister. What is this Z Z? A yeah. <laughs> a. That's how we oh, pronounce it properly. You know it in the, in the empire. There you go. <laughs> the colony that you are. That's part, yes, that's part of the former colony. <laughs> the former colony that you are. Um. So, are we ready to? Uh, that was a fun one, dude. That was really fun. Yeah. All right. Let's go on. All right. All right, everybody. That's our show. Um, I'd like to shout out to the 3T RPG podcast. Podcast by our um, buddies across the pond. It's a British RPG podcast all about... Tabletop role-playing games, or ARPGAs, is what they call it, <laughs> by Harrison Hunt, Nick Lamley, and James Clark. A um, few episodes back, they had, I think they had uh, Jim Wampler on, who did Mutant Crawl Classics. They, I think they reviewed uh, Judge Dredd and the Worlds of 2000 AD, Tabletop Adventure Game, and there's all kinds of other stuff they've got out there. And you can find them on Podbean, SoundCloud, iTunes, Spotify, mm-hmm. and YouTube. I don't get to listen to any podcasts, so. They're also over with us at MeWe. They have their own uh, page oh, on yeah. the MeWe's like we do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, Stefan, what are we got any reminders? Uh, of course, still uh, Con on the Cob, the 3rd of October to the 6th. Coming up! Yep, a little over soon. a month away. I know. Yep. I got to start so doing the countdown, don't I? I haven't done that in a while. <laughs> Yeah, so you, uh, it's less than 40 days. I think yesterday I looked up, uh, it was 40 days. So uh, cool. I think we're not now at the 39. 39 days yeah. and 38 nights. Yeah, so we'll be, we'll be there. Look for our banner. Uh, we have a Nerds International banner, so we should be uh, between the pool and the mini putt. <laughs> yep, that's right. Atrium. Mm-hmm. And as I said, I have a, a Primordial Machina game on Saturday, which uh, I'm saving a character if any of our listeners want to come up. And want to play in my Saturday game? Uh, there will be a character or two available, so you can play with us. Just look so for the pasty white uh, bald uh, game master. Hey, bald and beautiful, <laughs> motherfucker, get yeah. it right. Well, of course, yeah, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> and you know what? I think I might, I might have to bring my waffle iron again. Oh, uh, we're gonna my have Millennium Falcon waffles. Millennium Falcon waffles. <laughs> that's right. Fuck yeah, one of those mornings. I'll, br- I'll bring the thurup. A syrup, yes. The maple, I'll drink some maple, whiskey flavored maple syrup. Ooh. All right. Yeah, that so did you not could... last me long at all, Stefan. By the way, no. <laughs> if God. you're planning on attending Con on the Cob and you or want to talk to us, email us over at findingthenarrativepodcast at gmail dot com. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can get a hold of Stefan or myself at Finding the Narrative on Facebook, uh, Nerds International, and Finding the Narrative on Mayway. Twitter presence is. At capital FTN underscore Genesis, and Stefan is lovingly handling that. <laughs> and uh, you listen to us or send your friends and family to listen to us. Finding the Narrative Podcast on Podbean, iTunes, YouTube, Google Play, and Spotify. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this is Tony saying awesome. keep rolling them bones even though you're on vacation. And this is Stefan saying, don't forget to ask for those boost eyes if you don't have any talents that give you the boost eyes. So. <laughs> <laughs> and this is Chris 
to remember the rule of cool and just have fun barbecuing for your buddies. <laughs> and I was going to add a caveat. Course. Apparently, <laughs> everybody added a caveat to it. All right. Good night, everybody. Adios. Finding the Narrative, a Genesis RPG podcast, is not affiliated with or endorsed by any companies mentioned in this show. Any of the products mentioned on our show or appear on our website are the property and copyright of their respected owners. All items are used under fair use and educational and review purposes. All other items are the intellectual property of Finding the Narrative, a Genesis RPG podcast. Copyright 2019. All rights reserved.